stand. Open your Bibles with me this morning, if you would. Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. One of Jesus' parables. Luke chapter 18. Continuing in our series, Wisdom for Life. And what we're doing is looking at different individuals in Scripture and seeing if we can learn anything from them. If you're like me, sometimes you look at people and you learn from their positive experience. And sometimes you learn from their negative experience and things that they do wrong, you know. And I think that some of the most important lessons I've learned, I've learned by watching people make mistakes. And so it's been very helpful. You know, there are, there are a lot of people that make mistakes. There's only a few that do things right, normally, you know. But, uh, but you can learn a lot from people who mess up. So today we're going to look at one who really messed up. And he can teach us some profound lessons. From one of the stories of Jesus. Luke chapter 18. And keep your Bibles open. We'll be looking at the passage several times. As always we pray. As I mentioned earlier. This is Memorial Day weekend. So we recognize that this nation exists. Not just because God is good. But because there have been many good men and women. That have given their lives in service to this great nation. And it's just a tragedy that it has to be that way but on this earth it seems to be the only way to have freedom so we recognize the gifts of many today as always we pray I'll give you a few moments to pray where you're seated I'll close and we'll look at this passage together would you join with me please in, in prayer Heavenly Father, we gather again in worship to recognize your role in this life. We thank you, Father, for this life that we have in this great nation. You have given us so much. We are wealthy and fed and secure. Thank you, Father. You have used the sacrifices of many to bring us to where we are. Thank you, Father, for giving us good leaders people who were elected and had great powers and used it wisely. And Father, we ask today that you would continue to be with our elected leaders, those who have power over us. Give them wisdom and discernment. Help them to censure leadership. Help them to be concerned for the good of all. Help them to be fair-minded. Help them to value working together and leading us in that path. We pray, Father, for our soldiers, first responders, those that give their lives in service to others. Protect them wherever they are. Use them to save lives and to bring peace. We pray, Father, for our soldiers at war. Wherever they serve, protect them. Comfort their families. And Father, we know that around the world there are many people at war. Sometimes it's declared, sometimes it's just behind the scenes. We ask for peace. Help us to work for peace, Father. Help us to value that. Not by power and intimidation, but by kindness and compromise. We pray this morning for families that are facing changes, graduates and those kinds of things. We pray that you'd be with them. Bless them. Bless their children as they begin new eras of life. Give them guidance and wisdom. 
Help us to choose a path that honors you and allows you a, a leading role. We pray the same for us all, Father, that we would trust you, that we would allow you to teach us and lead us, that we would be able to read things like Jesus' parables and learn from them too. We ask for wisdom for this life, that we might live good lives, lives that demonstrate faith and love, lives that encourage and lift up others. As always, Father, we ask for mercy and forgiveness. Even as we struggle to do good, we often are our own worst enemies. We sin and make choices that are selfish. We ask for mercy and forgiveness. Father, speak to us now from your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Part of the human condition is pride. And we're going to watch a video. You've seen it before, but it's just such a good video that you need to see it again. And it'll give you an immediate idea of where we're going with the message today. Debbie? Howdy, Granny. Gento, finish my sweeping. i got to go someplace. Uh, no, ma'am, Granny. What? Sweeping is women's work. You go cut me a hickory switch and you wait for me. Granny, I told you before, there ain't no hickory switches, nor woodsheds in Beverly Hills. No wonder they have to have policemen to watch the young'uns. <laughs> I ain't gonna bite on that one again. I'm too smart. Is that a fact? Yes, ma'am, Granny. Uncle Jed says it's because I go to school. <laughs> You're much too smart for a poor old woman that ain't had no schooling or nothing. <laughs> yeah. That'll be the day when you can outsmart your old granny. <laughs> I told you it was good, right? I never get tired of that scene. <laughs> When I was a kid and first saw that, I understood the message. Don't mess with grandma, but also be careful that you don't think too much of yourself. It's a lesson we all have to learn, and sometimes we forget. This is one of those lessons that you sometimes learn by watching some people who are truly humble, and then sometimes you learn by watching someone who isn't. What we're going to do today is look at the way religion affects us, you know, there's a, a certain twist that happens in our minds when we get religion. My dad called it going to seed on religion. And you know, when grass goes uncut, it gets too tall and goes to seed and, and it's kind of out of control. And my dad had that phrase, she's going to seed on her religion, or usually a guy. And what that meant was they started feeling kind of uppity because they went to church a lot or, or spoke about Jesus and things like that. So today we're talking about going to seed on religion or maybe... Just letting our religious faith teach us a lesson that we shouldn't learn and sometimes need to consciously reject. The idea that we're Christians and therefore we're better than other people. Nothing could be further from the truth and you know that. So today we're going to look at a story that Jesus told. Follow along with me if you would. In Luke chapter 18, I'll read verses 9 through 14. One of the parables of Jesus and Jesus also told this parable to certain ones who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax gatherer. 
The Pharisee stood and was praying thus to himself, God, I thank thee that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax gatherer. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax gatherer, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled, but he who humbles himself shall be exalted. You know the story. This is just one of those stories that you've heard and heard. And so today you're going to learn what you already know, and maybe it'll stick. And the kicker is Jesus made it clear what he was talking about. Sometimes when Jesus told parables, he let us figure it out for himself. But this time, look at verse 14 again if you would. Jesus explained what the point was. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled, but he who humbles himself shall be exalted. I guess we need to look at verse 9 again. He also told this parable to certain ones who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. So Jesus was dealing with a group of good people. And they were the good people. They went to synagogue, they had uh, all these religious things, they gave offerings, they prayed in public and all those kinds of things. And Jesus perceived that there was something wrong with this group of people. And of course it was a parable. But he had been in this situation. A parable is nothing more than a story that's based on truth. So this is what this is. So a little closer look. Interestingly enough, tax gatherers were the lowest of the low. Other than the lowest level of servants in that culture, tax gatherers were the worst. They were sinners, no doubt. They weren't good people. They were liars and thieves. As you know, what would happen was the Roman government would come in and they would take over and it was very oppressive. And they would want tax gatherers because taxes were, of course, the way the government made money. 80% tax rate in that culture at the time. So you can imagine when the tax man comes, what you felt about him. The Roman people, they realized, that, and they were pretty smart, that if they could get people out of a group of people, so the Jewish people, they would want Jewish tax collectors because they would understand the systems and they would understand the black market. You know what black market is, right? It's things that are sold under the counter. And that was alive and well everywhere because everybody knew that taxes were everywhere. So if you could make money on the side and keep money going on the side, then you wouldn't have to pay taxes on everything. So they would hire a tax collector out of that culture because that guy, always a guy, that guy would always know the black market and he would know where the money was and they hated them for that. If a guy owed $100 in taxes, the tax man would collect 150 and pocket the rest. And that was the way they made their money. The government didn't care if the tax gatherer did that. He had force of law behind him, often traveled with soldiers, and he hated and was hated. Everybody was his enemy. The tax gatherer would not go into worship because he knew he would be thrown out. No one liked him. So Jesus threw a twist here. When the tax gatherer went in to pray, everybody thought, what? No way. But he also told the other part of the story that they agreed with. The publican, the Pharisee, the good guy, 
went and he was praying. He looked up to God and prayed. And that's the way they prayed, by the way. Now, you and I don't pray that way. Have you ever thought about why we bow our heads in prayer? When we bow, we are showing submission to God. You don't just look him in the eye because you are not worthy. And this is based on that old understanding. And I've talked about this before. In ancient cultures, when a commoner went in to talk to the emperor or king or whatever, he would get permission. He would go in. He would, he would grovel. Else he would die, literally. And he would humble himself. And you would show this by lowering yourself and oftentimes getting on the ground and bowing before them. And when you would talk, you, you might raise your head just a little bit and look like this. But you would never, never look him in the eye and you would never stand up straight because that would show a rejection of authority. So isn't it significant that in this parable, Jesus told the story of the tax gatherer who wouldn't even look up. They're contrasting. Jesus wanted people to understand that he had been the synagogue. He had been in the temple. He saw what was going on. And the rich guys, the good people, they were known and they prayed. And when they prayed, they didn't bow and they didn't close their eyes. Instead, they stood proud, stood tall, because real men do that sort of thing. And when they stood proud and stood tall, they looked God in the eye. Yeah, it's exactly what they were doing. The symbolism was, okay, God, listen to me now, commanding attention. You see, there's a certain thing about authority and power that are going on. And if you haven't sat through Sunday school enough, you may not catch it. What was going on was this Pharisee was rejecting God's authority over him and showing that they were equals. Think about that. When you pray, do you see yourself as an equal to God? When you pray, do you look at God in the eye? Or do you, you bow? Well, you know. And he prayed, God... You know I'm a good guy. I paraphrase here. I'm a good guy. I do all the good things. I mow my yard. I pick up my dog poo. I'm a nice guy. I give offerings. I do everything right. And he was right. He did those things. He was one of the good people. What he doesn't include in the parable is, and I follow people around and I pick at them because I'm a pest. And because I think I'm better than everybody else, I'll make everybody else's life miserable. Now, he wouldn't say that. But that's what Pharisees did. Their job was to make other people aware of the fact that they weren't good people. Now, God never wanted that. That was just part of the system that developed. Pharisees were commoners to some degree. They weren't necessarily professionals, but they were accomplished. Good money, some education, kept their families together, etc. Handed their alcohol wisely. You know. Like I said, good people. They were well respected. They were feared. They were not liked. They were hated. Because they pushed people down. So Jesus told the story and he prayed and prayed to God and all those kinds of things and then to contrast the tax gatherer, and you already know what everybody thought of them, he wouldn't even look up. He just bowed and, and he didn't, bidding the chest, that's something that ancient cultures do. In fact, as if you watch the news sometimes, you'll see in 
Saudi Arabia or Iraq or Iran, sometimes they will still do that. It's a, it's a sign of mercy, a, a sign of pain, a sign of emotional anguish when they hit themselves in the chest. They still do that. And when he did that, he was showing, God, I, I'm a sinner. He didn't look up because he knew he couldn't look God in the eye. Everybody knew the end of the story. The end of the story was, and this is the way they wanted to hear it, the end of the story was the Pharisee would be honored and the sinner would be thrown out on his rear end because sinners don't get to pray. But that's not the way Jesus told the story. In fact, it's one of the reasons that Jesus told great stories was the story surprised people. They did not end correctly. So verse 14 is the ending. Again, look at that if you would. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled. But he who humbles himself shall be exalted. Like I said, Jesus was talking to a group of people who needed to hear this. And they were righteously offended. They knew he was talking to them. How dare Jesus. Interestingly enough, Jesus did not defend the tax gatherer, did he? Didn't whitewash anything. The tax gatherer was a sinner. But so was the Pharisee. And that was the point. Everybody's on the same level. Whether you're religious or not, whether you're, you got all your P's and Q's and boxes checked and you got the rules memorized and you got your act together, that doesn't necessarily mean you're better than anybody else. And you need to be careful. When you go to God, remember your place. You do not approach God as an equal. You are not. You don't get to claim being better than anybody else. If anyone could have, the Pharisee could have. But Jesus called him out. One of the problems with self-righteousness is that it has the power to distort and destroy your faith. It has nothing to do with what you believe and everything to do with who you are and how you think about yourself. You see, it's an attitude. It's a, it's a heart thing. So Jesus had a reason for telling this parable. On screen are some ideas that give us some pause. When self-righteousness roots in your life or others, and it can come at any time. It may surprise you sometimes. You can be perfectly humble, or you think, and then you're not. And you can feel pretty good and not really worry about it and be kind of selfless. And, and sometimes you can be very humble. And then sometimes something happens and you catch yourself and you say something and you go, wow, where'd that come from? And maybe you're not so humble at that point anyway. So here's a corrective. So on screen are some things that we need to watch. One of the things that self-righteousness does, it leads to self-deception. You really can believe that you're better than other people. Think about it. Think about the contrast between the people in the parable. The Pharisee who got it right, handled his money correctly, put in his 50 or 60 hours a week, loyal to his family, except did everything right, went to church, blah, blah, blah. And then the tax gatherer, the worst. And yet, Jesus called him out. 
you've noticed that Christians tend to be difficult. Tammy and I were watching, we buy movies out of the $5 bin at Walmart, I don't know about you. We don't subscribe to any service or anything like that. Mainly not because we're good, but because we can't get that stuff out where we live in the country. In the sticks, you don't get internet stuff. So anyway, we buy movies out of the $5 bin at Walmart, and they're not very good, but they're $5. Anyway, we were watching some previews of an old movie, and I don't remember the name of the movie or anything, but in the movie, in the preview, the guy was a Buddhist. He was, a, he was an ex-drug addict, thing like that. So Buddhist was just a label he wore. But he turned into kind of a horse's hind end at some place in the movie, and he got violent. And someone said, we thought you were a Buddhist. He goes, well, I am, but you brought out the evangelical Christian in me. And he was mean. And so, you know, we say that because, and it was funny. Tam and I bust out laughing because, yeah, we've been in the ministry 40 years. We know that, right? And you and I know that Christians, regardless of the Savior that is within us, if we're not careful, we can be as mean-spirited and petty and vicious as anyone, even though we have all the right beliefs. You see, it's not a head thing, is it? It's a heart thing. And your heart can be deceived. If you get everything right, you do the right things, you live a good life, you keep your morals together, you keep your passions under control, you handle your money wise, you go to church, give offerings, you're a good person. It's easy to think you're better than, better than you fill in the blank, those people. Whoever those people are, sometimes they look like you, sometimes they look different, sometimes they talk like you, sometimes they don't. Those people are us. And the fact that you follow Jesus, it may mean that you've got your life together, but it doesn't mean you're better than. So it leads to self-deception. Another thing it leads to is it distorts our perception of others. It is really easy to look down on people that are different than us. Whether it be different political party, or listen to different music, or from a different culture, or from a different background. It's really easy to look down on people, isn't it? You see, this self-righteousness thing tends to distort our perception, not just of us, but of other people. We can focus on someone else who's made mistakes, and that becomes their whole life. And that's how we view them. Someone who was a drug addict 40 years ago. You know how they are. Someone who cheated on his family 30 years ago. Can't trust him. And we just write people off. You see, the idea of self-righteousness is very subtle. Because you always have a reason to feel better than other people. And Jesus knew that. Jesus had been around normal people all his life. And he saw things that weren't pretty. Even good people allowed their self-righteousness to deceive them and distort other people. And it tends to separate us from others. If you don't think people are as good as you, guess what? They can tell. I talk about my grandkids a lot. I have a 13-year-old granddaughter. She's just wonderful. And she's female, by the way. And all of her friends are 13-year-old females. And so you know the kind of world that she is now immersed in every day. She is surrounded by 13-year-old females. Wouldn't that be a thrill? And you know exactly what she's dealing with. 
Teachers, you've been around them. You remember your kids when they were 13 years old? Nothing's changed. The phones have made it worse, actually. And she's beginning to realize that people separate into groups. And, and um, one of the things about my granddaughter, you know, she's very innocent and she's kind of aloof from all this and she doesn't understand. She goes, Pop, I don't understand this. Yeah, I don't either. She wants me to explain 13-year-old girls to her and I don't got it. But you know how it is, don't you? In the real world, people break up in groups and they separate. And that is natural. That's what people do. And self-righteousness plays a role there. Sometimes people break up in groups for all sorts of reasons, interest, hobbies, looks, etc. Nothing wrong with any of that. And then sometimes, because of the way you feel about yourself, you can't be with other people. Don't want to taint your image or they're not the kind of people you want to be with and those kinds of things. Self-righteousness breaks us up in group. Um, one of the things that we, we see in the news now, because politicians talk and, and analysts talk about the political factions in America, and there's something called in-group, out-group bias. You might have heard that term, in-group, out-group bias. It means that you tend to think people like you are good, and people that aren't like you aren't good. So people that agree with your politics are good people. Well, they got some sense. And people that disagree with you, well, you know how they are. And you hear that every night on the news, don't you? Sure you do. Depends on, it doesn't matter what channel you watch, does it? This in-group, out-group bias is nothing more than this elevated sense of self-righteousness. I'm better than others because you're not. In fact, is if you find yourself believing that, you're more like the Pharisee here than the tax gatherer, aren't you? See, this is why Jesus came down on that. Interestingly enough, there have been a lot of books written about the kind of people Jesus liked. Now, Jesus loved everybody. He died for everyone. He tried to minister to everyone. But he had zero tolerance for people who thought they were better than others, like the Pharisee. Not so coincidentally, the Pharisees the Sadducees, those that were so critical of Jesus, were the ones he had most problems with because they thought they deserved respect because they were better than everybody else. And if Jesus were a man of God, he would know that. The attitude that they had separated them from Jesus, from everybody else. And the surprise was their attitudes towards self separated them from God. Surprisingly, God doesn't have much patience with people that are arrogant and self-righteous. I wish I could say that you could read a book and fix it. Or write a book, Humility and How I Achieved It and those kinds of things. You know, you've heard that old joke. The only way to gain that humble spirit is to allow God to work. So on screen is this idea, an ongoing relationship with God can give us a humble spirit because like I said, it's nothing you learn. It's a change of heart. And it involves a constant check on how you're thinking about other people. And how you're thinking about yourself. It involves reminding yourself, wait a minute. Before you start feeling pretty good. And before you open your mouth. Be careful. Do you really want to say that? Do you really believe what's about ready to come out of your mouth? 
Got to be careful. Look at verse 9 again. Jesus told this parable to certain ones who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. So God isn't concerned with just the do's and don'ts because the people that he was struggling against had the do's and don'ts correct. Like I said earlier, what you believe isn't the only thing that God looks at. In fact, is amazingly, you can have the beliefs and things correct. You can believe everything just right and be totally alienated from God and everybody else by your spirit. By that arrogance and self-righteousness. Amazingly, Jesus loved that Pharisee, but it would have been hard for him to talk to him. And he probably wouldn't. So Jesus showed us what he was looking for. He would really like to have people with a good heart who would get their lives under control. However, not everybody is like that. Some people have a good heart and get it all under control. And then some people just struggle with all sorts of things. Some people struggle with that spirit of self-righteousness. Some people don't have that, but they struggle with sin. It's all sin. But the heart of who we are, that's the thing that God really is concerned about. He wants the do's and don'ts correct. But it's his heart, isn't it? That's not really so different from us. We like people to be accomplished and talented and attractive and all those things. But we've all been around those people and if they're a little bit uppity or they look down on us, we sense that pretty quick. doesn't take long. Most of us have a meter that reads that pretty quick. And if they're like that, we're not interested. What we really want is just somebody who accepts people. I was interested in, I, you and I both heard lots of reports about Tina Turner this week. You know, she died. She sang great music and danced crazy and all those kinds of things. And one of the things that was said was, she just seemed to love everybody. She just loved people. No one said she was perfect. No one said she was without sin. And she struggled against all sorts of things, all sorts of illnesses and addictions, all those things. But she just loved people, and so people loved her back. And she was remembered as a great leader because of that. Hmm. Jesus was on something, wasn't he? So, on screen are some things we can do to gain that spirit of humility. And again, it doesn't come automatically. But it comes from you doing the hard work. First, avoid the tendency to demonize those that are different from you. So, think of someone in, that you encounter that's wildly different from you. Maybe that noxious neighbor with barking dogs. Or your family member who rejects Jesus. Or your family member that has opposite politics than you. If you catch yourself thinking they're stupid or they're not worth talking to, guess what? Guess who needs to work on that? It's you, not them. Are they perfect and flawed? No. They're not perfect. They are flawed. But you're not any better than they. You may be more rational, but you're not better than just because you think better. I know I've been humbled over the years a couple of times. 
surprised normally. I've learned the hard way to keep my mouth shut. And that, that was a hard one for me. But by, by the time I hit 40, I'd kind of gotten that under control. I, I still say dumb things, but I keep them to a minimum. And I had some opinions about some people in one of my churches. And I just didn't think this too bright. And I was so wrong. And over the years, I watched them and talked to them and heard them in Bible study talk. And I ended up thinking that some of those people were some of the wisest people I've ever been around. So, learn not to demonize others. It doesn't matter whether you like them or not. It doesn't matter whether they agree with you or not. They're not the enemy. And even if they are the enemy, they don't have to be the enemy. Enemy is a tenuous thing, isn't it? I've talked about my Californian contingent, my family that lives in California. We don't agree on anything. I'm serious. We like Jesus. The sun is hot. And other than that, we got nothing together. But we've learned, and we have to relearn often, to get together and love each other. It's not easy. And all of us have to work with that in-group, out-group bias. And all of us have to work against this demonization of others where all you people. And interestingly enough, in my family's conversations, that phrase comes out. Well, you people. Well, guess what? As soon as you refer to people as you people, you have alienated yourself from them. And you have shown them what you really think. So another thing you have to do is be honest with yourself. The Pharisee stood up straight, looked God in the eye and prayed, and he was lying to himself. He really believed he was better than other people. And everything he said was true. I mean, he, he really did have his act together. But he was lying to himself because he said he was better than others. Be honest with yourself. Take stock of who you are. Review your actions during the day. After you have a conversation with someone, with your spouse maybe, think about what did I say? What, what was behind that? Why did I say that? Did, is that how I really wanted to come across? Be honest. And then choose to give grace. This is just something that Jesus was able to pull off. Most religious folk don't give grace very often. I mean, we do it for the right people. God wants us to give grace to people. Whether they're the right people or not is irrelevant. Remember, we're all sinners. Worthy of hell. Jesus is the standard. How do you measure up to Jesus? Well, you know. That's the standard by which you are measured. Perfection. Right spirit. Absolutely committed to God. That's the one to whom you are compared. So be honest with yourself. And when you deal with other people that haven't got it together, give grace. Everywhere you go are people that haven't got it together. I, you know, every day, you know, I, I greet families at the child care. And it, it's a really interesting thing because we have about 65 families that I'll see every morning. Sometimes mom, sometimes dad, oftentimes grandma because she's the one raising the family and so on and so forth. And some of them are a train wreck. And they just need grace. I cannot lecture them and correct them. And neither can you. We need to give grace.
means love them, accept them. You don't have to straighten out their lives in one conversation. In fact, is one of the things that I've noticed with Christians is we feel obligated to straighten people out as soon as we meet them. Have you ever thought about how absurd that is? It's just absurd. You meet someone, you find out that God's sinner in your life, and before you even know their last name, you're ready to correct them with something. How absurd is that? How would you respond if someone did that to you? You just met somebody and already they're in your business straightening you out. Well, that's how they feel. Give grace. Love people. Give grace. Be honest with yourself. This thing called humility is... You, you can't take steps to get it. These are just guidelines. But it's something that God can give over the years. On screen is a passage of scripture. Read this with me if you would. I say to every man among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind but associate with the lowly. Remember, Scripture, particularly the New Testament epistles, was written in response to a problem. So the fact that Paul wrote an entire section on this issue showed that it was a problem. It has always been a problem. The more people get their acts together, the more reason we think to think we can look down on others. And Jesus would challenge us in that. Pray for humble heart. And give grace. Nate's going to come and lead us in a hymn of invitation this morning. The invitation is to allow God to work in your heart. To let him have sway with you. To learn to be honest with yourself. To choose to give grace to others. Won't you stand with me as Nate leads us? and all those kinds of things. So if he can get out a word of prayer, that'd be great, Bob. Thank you. <laughs> we'll see what we can do here. Okay, Father, be with us this week, today as we leave. Celebrate our graduates, grade school, high school, college, as they start their new chapters in life. Nurture them, help them, bless them, be with them along each step of their new life. Let us not forget the true meaning of this weekend, our Memorial Day, where we celebrate our loved ones that have passed. Let us not forget the true reason and those that gave the ultimate sacrifice so that we can have the freedoms and enjoy our lives as we know them today. We do all this in Jesus' name.
Amen.